For what do I have if I don't have you, Jesus? What in this life could mean anymore? You are my rock. You are my glory. Hi and welcome to The Rock Podcast. After laying out an explosive list of profound blessings that God has lavished upon all believers, Paul tacks on a fervent prayer that his readers would grasp the wonder of it all and by God's grace be changed. Now let's join Pastor Ross with a message entitled, Open the Eyes of My Heart, Lord. Have you heard of a gal named Harriet Green? Uh, She lived in the early 1900s and she is known as America's greatest miser. And the ways that she showed that are legendary. I mean, she rode around in this beat-up carriage that barely got her from A uh, to B. And she would wash her clothes, but uh, to save money with soap, she'd only wash the dirty parts of her laundry. (laughs) And then a classic one was, I read that she would eat her oatmeal cold, and to save a few pennies by, uh, and, and not heating it up, she'd take it to the office and put it on the office radiator uh, so that it would get a little bit warm, but she didn't have to pay for it. Man, you know, her self-imposed dinginess caused a lot of problems, not just for her, but for her kids and uh, those around her. Uh, when she died, she left an estate worth $100 million dollars. And that is in 1916. The equivalent today would be three billion, with a B, dollars. Even though she was rich, she lived like a beggar. Now, sadly, that doesn't just happen in the world of finance, but spiritually, uh, we can see an application. Uh, Just last week, we read an entire uh, portion of Scripture uh, that told us that God had lavished his riches of his grace upon us, that he has given us what he calls a glorious inheritance to those who believe in him. And what a shame it would be, really, uh, to be spiritually wealthy, yet to live like a spiritual beggar as we would be poor toward God. Now, Paul opened the letter, as you recall, uh, last week when we spoke about verses 3 through 14. It's 12 verses of this amazing one sentence in the Greek that just an explosion of praise to God for how he's lavished his blessings and made us uh, heirs, children of God, uh, with this glorious inheritance. He, he went through the list, didn't he? Um, he? He pointed out each person of the Godhead and their ministry of blessing to us. God the Father choosing us in love, predestinating us in Christ. God the Son, Jesus, laying down his life and, and spilling his blood to buy us back from death and sin to give us eternal life. And God, the Holy Spirit, who comes along and seals the deal by coming inside our hearts and uniting our spirit with the spirit of God, guaranteeing that we make it safely to our God-appointed destinies. And so, uh, yeah, we're spiritual billionaires, really. I mean, we, when you come to Christ, you hit the jackpot, 
And sometimes we really don't understand that. And part of Paul's prayer uh, this morning is to address that. So here's what he did. He laid out that beautiful, profound list of blessings. And now he wants to pray to make sure we could grasp all of those profound truths so that we could apply them. So here's the prayer after all that praise. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I've not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Now, I read that this morning once again, and I just thought, this is a prayer to help us understand all the profound blessings that he just listed. But even his prayer for our understanding needs prayer for understanding because he just is a very gifted and intelligent man. And you know Peter, in one of his epistles, said that the Apostle Paul's writing, writings are hard to understand. You know, and, and God has used him to bring these wonderful truths, which with, with a little effort and the help of uh, the Holy Spirit, we do uh, get to uh, comprehend what the Spirit is saying to us. And so we've got this paragraph or two uh, in front of us. So here's the deal. Uh, it's one thing to be born rich, right, as it is our case when we are born the second time into God's family, Right? When we're born again, we become children of God, and as children of God, we are heirs. And so uh, that's cool to be born rich, but it's necessary that we continue to grow in the knowledge of those spiritual riches and the wealth that we have from heaven uh, if we're going to benefit by them and if we're going to use them uh, for the Lord. And the only way to understand the significance of all these blessings really is that God help us, and that is what Paul's prayer is about. Uh, it's a prayer that has three requests in it, which will serve as our talking points uh, this morning, uh, which are, number one, I keep praying that you, number one, will know God better. Number two, I keep praying that you will understand the glorious things that are in store for you. Your future hope and destiny. And number three, I keep praying, he says, that you would comprehend the enormous power that's available to you and me. It's the power of the Holy Spirit living in our hearts and lives. So here's the thinking. It goes like this. If we know God better, 
will love and trust him more. And if we understand our glorious future, what we will become and what will be ours in eternity, then we'll live lives more worthy. And thirdly, if we comprehend the vast power that's available to us, we might just be tempted to use that power to serve the Lord and to be who he's called us to be. So let's take a look at this now. Uh, We'll isolate the first request that we might become better acquainted with God. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith and love in the Lord Jesus, he planted the church. He's the founding pastor 10 years earlier. But he's heard that there's still a church there and that they're growing in faith and love. So he says, ever since I heard that, man, I'm thankful. And he's giving thanks. And what's really cool about that is he's the one the Holy Spirit used to say, in everything, give thanks. Be thankful. And here he is uh, languishing away in Mamertine prison in Rome when he's writing this. And you can go there today, as some of you have. And I've seen a picture uh, of it and you standing there, uh, there's a little hole in the cement. And they, they lowered the prisoners down there. And that's where the Apostle Paul is saying, hey, I'm so thankful and grateful. That's also where he wrote Philippians. And it was all about having joy. You see, joy goes deeper than your outward circumstance when you know the Lord. And so he's saying, I'm really thankful to hear that you guys are growing in grace and, and in love. And he's praying. And here's the re- request, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you will know him better. Now, before we get started, let me classify uh, or clarify, I should say, uh, the overarching theme, really, is that we do not live beneath our privileges of sons and daughters of the Most High God. That's the point here. Now, what does that mean and what does it not mean? Well, what it does not mean is an arrogant, cocky, presumptive uh, attitude that struts around uh, claiming and naming and speaking things into existence. Uh, I do not find that in the Bible uh, to be the norm. I do not see Bible heroes acting like that. I do not see the Lord Jesus Christ acting that way. Even though they are Bible heroes, uh, they take the low road of humility, and um, they are not proud or arrogant. Um, What does it mean? Well, it means that with all the wealth God has given us and the power and the blessing, that we're not chasing after the same things the world chases after, Uh, that we're not driven by fear but led in love, that we're not consumed with our anxieties. This is what he's talking about, how we live our daily lives uh, as though our spiritual bank accounts are full and we can draw on that power to be different not to be enslaved by our passions and not to be able to control our tongues to keep a tight rein on that thing. That's what it's all about, is to have the power and the wealth and and the riches and the privileges to be able to access God's grace that we're able to uh, not be the devil's punching bag, for example. That's what he's talking about that we're not cooking our spiritual oatmeal over some office radiator when we're going to inherit all things as co-heirs, co-heirs with Christ. That's you, that's me. 
if I am a co-heir of Christ, that means I stand to inherit everything Jesus, the Son of God, stands to inherit. No more cooking the oatmeal on the radiator. All right? That's probably going to be the title of this sermon if you go online. I see it coming. So with that said, that balance of what it means to be a king's kid, it's not to make myself comfortable, wealthy, and rich. It's so that I can escape the godlessness in this world and master my own sinful passions and be a holy, godly, respectable man reflecting his image. That's why he's given us the wealth. And so with, after a word of thanksgiving, he's got the first request. It's right there before you in verse 17. First, he directs his prayer to the Father. Then he asks for the spirit of insight. And then that uh, lets us know it's the purpose for, and here it is, to know him better. Listen, being a Christian isn't about what you do and what you don't do. It's not about being religious and going to church and tithing. Those are symptoms of being a Christian. I'll tell you what the root substance is, is to know God, to come into a relationship with the living God and to walk with him, to experience his love and his life and to be his child and to walk in that light. So, of course, the first prayer request is is that you will be able to know God better. That's important. So he directs the prayer to God the Father, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the God of glory. Now, don't let the phrase, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, throw you as if the Lord Jesus Christ is not equal to God. We've been down this road before. For function's sake, the Lord Jesus Christ willingly comes under the Father. And in this regard, he can say the Father's greater than I. Right? I'm in a body. I can only be one place at a, at a time. The Father is greater. The Father is spirit. All right? So the Father is greater for a season, but they never, outside of the function of coming under as subordinating himself to the Father, he is God the Son. Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 8, the Father addresses the Son. Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. So the father acknowledges the son's deity, but for a season he comes under. He is submitted to God. So, you know, a lot of people see that and say, hey, you know, I thought you had been saying Jesus is God. Jesus is in every bit God. He's submitted to the father. That doesn't make him any less than God the son. Uh, What did he tell the Jews? He said, I and the father are one. Right? And they picked up stones to stone him. And that's the famous line I always like to tell the story where he says, for which of my good works are you stoning me? And they say, for a good work, we're not stoning you. But for you, a mere man, make yourself equal to God. That's why we got to kill you. Well, they got it. They got what he was saying. He was saying, I'm equal to God. Philippians chapter 2 says that though he was equal to God in every way, he did not use that for his own advantage. Okay, so don't let that, the mystery of the Trinity and how Jesus comes under, let a Jehovah's Witness tell you and point to this verse and say, see, he's not equal to God. Just take him to the place where Philip says in John chapter 14, on the night Jesus was betrayed, 
Lord, we're, we're upset. We need a glimpse of God the Father. And Jesus says, what? How long have I been with you and still you don't recognize me? Anyone who's seen me has seen the Father. So John 14, 9, in case they're giving you some trouble, all right? And then give him my email <laughs> and phone number and address. <laughs> and then invite him here on a Sunday. <laughs> all right. Okay, so uh, the, the God of glory, what does that mean? Oh, that's fascinating. The word glory, it's hard to pin him down. What it seems to be saying is that God's glory is the essence of who he is in character. And so, for example, that character overflows, and you can point to that and say that's God's glory. For example, when he said, Praise be to the Father who has predestined us in love and the Son who bought us with his blood and the Spirit who seals us inside and guarantees our our, uh, success and our um, victory in this life to the praise of his glory. Those things, the way he is merciful and loving and kind beyond measure is his glory. That's who he is. And I got one good example of that. In Exodus 33, Moses is having this great interchange with God. And he says, Lord, I just would love to see your glory. There's the word. The father of glory. Show me your glory. And so uh, the Lord says, hey, listen, I'm going to grant your request, but you're not going to see my face in all my glory because no man can see me and live. So what I'm going to do is put you in a rock, in a cleft of a rock. I'm going to cause my goodness to pass by you, and you will see my glory, but you will only see my back. I will let you see my back, and you will see my glory. Well, I was reading a commentator, had a wonderful insight of this, and said, what did Moses see? What was God trying to say? Look at my back and you'll see my glory. And the commentator said, did he give him a vision? Because that's Christ. Christ is the body in the Old Testament. If you have God appearing in a body in the Old Testament, you got Jesus. Because Jesus has always been with the Father. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He's always been around because he's equal to God. And so the body of Christ before Bethlehem moves through He shows him his back, and he lets him see the scars. He lets him see the stripes on the back. And so you want to know my glory? This is the glory of God, that I, as the creator of the universe, would sustain these wounds for a world of sinners who do not even want me. That's his glory the father of glories. And so we direct our prayers. By the way, you can direct your prayer to Jesus or to the Father, or for that matter, the Holy Spirit. But generally speaking, Christians address the Heavenly Father because Jesus gave the general prayer that way. But then on the night he was betrayed, he says, hey, anything you ask, ask me, ask of me after this whole scene has passed. Talk to me, and I'll do what you're asking me to do. So he, he invites us to ask. Stephen, when he was being stoned to death, he looks up and he says, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. You can pray to Jesus. 
You can pray to the Father. You can say, Holy Spirit, I'm looking to you here, right here. You know what? Generally speaking, our prayers go to the Father in the name of the Son. And the Holy Spirit is the facilitator of all of that. And so he's asking the Father for help. And of course, he has to ask God to help us to know him. How would we ever know God without God coming in with a self-disclosure and showing us? So of course, we're dependent. We could never know him. And so he's saying, hey, I'm praying those two words in your text, wisdom and revelation. They mean insight and unveiling. That God himself would, as you press in to try to understand him and walk with him, that God himself just kind of takes a covering off of something that gives you an insight to make you able to love him more. Right? He'll show you something that you couldn't know unless he showed it to you. That's just the way it is. You know, uh, Knowledge is one thing. Do you know how many people know about God? There are people, uh, the Christmas specials on PBS right now. They've all got letters after their names. They'll tell you all about the Christ of Christmas, but they themselves do not know him. They have lots of knowledge, but the insight that he's praying that we get and the revelation that he's praying that we get has helped us to understand, take the knowledge and apply it that long 18 inches from your brain to your heart so that you can have a relationship with God. You see, that's the difference between knowledge. Knowledge is intellectual stuff up here. You can't get saved by, by knowing God here only, right? Wisdom applies the knowledge. When I was in Japan. I was tutoring a pulmonologist, a, a lung doctor. He's an expert on lungs. And I was helping him with his English every Thursday night for a couple of years. But what blew my mind is that he was a chain smoker. <laughs> He's a lung specialist. He knows, oh man, he could tell you anything you ever wanted to know and didn't know about the lungs. He had knowledge. But the wisdom and the insight that Paul's praying for is to be able to make something good out of the knowledge that you have. And... Uh, that is what needed to happen so that we could know uh, the Lord. We need his help. First uh, Corinthians chapter 2 puts it this way. No one can know a person, no one can know a person's thoughts except that person's own spirit. And no one can know God's thoughts except God's own spirit. And we have received God's spirit, not the world's spirit, so that we can know the wonderful things God has freely given us. And so it's all up to him and we ask him. And a great example of God just giving you an aha moment, and it's got to be from God, is when Peter, James, and John coming down the mountain with um, the Mount of Transfigurations where Jesus uh, was transfigured and shown like the brightness of the sun. He's coming down. He has a question. He says, who, who do people say that I am, guys? What's the rumor mill cranking out these days. And so Peter says, well, you know, some are saying that you're a prophet like, you're, like uh, Jeremiah or Elijah uh, or John the Baptist raised from the dead. You know, first of all, what are Jews believing in reincarnation for? That's my first question. Uh, and second question, how about the Messiah? I mean, he's doing all the things your Messiah is supposed to do. So then he turns around and he says, okay, 
Who do you say that I am? And Peter goes, you are the Messiah. You are the son of the living God. And Jesus says, how blessed are you? No human being told you that the heavenly father revealed that to you. Oh, you see, you're never going to know anything unless the heavenly father chooses to reveal something to you. Well, what makes Peter different from the rest of the ones who are going, it's John the Baptist raised from the dead, you know? Sorry, no offense. No offense to those guys who thought that. What makes Peter different? Peter's hanging around with Jesus. He's doing the will of God. Not perfectly. (laughs) That's Peter, right? (laughs) He's in relationship with Jesus, and he has a seeking heart. And as he's walking with Jesus, the Father keeps unveiling and giving more and more insight so that he can grow and know him better. So that's what the prayer is for the Christian, is that you will know him better. Because when you know God better, you're going to sleep better at night. You're going to speak better. You're going to live better, more worthy, because you just he's going to rub off on you. Because you, you know him. How, that's the question, Christian. How are you doing with your relationship with God? The answer is, isn't what you're not doing sinful-wise or what you are doing. Well, I'm going here. I'm doing this. I'm serving here. That's not the wrong answer. Because you can be doing terribly and still be doing all that stuff. The answer is, how are you getting to know him? Answer that question in your own heart. Am I growing to know him better and better? That's your goal. That is your measure to know. Am I doing okay with God? You really want to know if you're doing okay with God. And the answer, the way you find that answer is ask yourself, How's your relationship with them? How do you spend time with them? Do you know them? When you spend time with someone, you finish their sentences. That's what he says. Know God better, then you're going to know what he thinks, what he likes, what he doesn't like. You, you know, you're way ahead of the game, like a well-loved spouse, that kind of thing. They start to rub off on you. And just stay close to him. You'll know him better. The second request is a one-liner, verse 18 He says, I also pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he's called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Now, that's just fascinating. Here's what he's saying. Prayer request number two for you guys is that it finally hit you who you're going to be, what you're going to have, and what you're going to be doing in God's kingdom. I want you to know that because it'll affect the way you live in the here and now. Well, that's a, that's a song that was inspired by this verse, no doubt. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you. And so uh, he, he wants them to know what's coming uh, their way. And so apparently we need more than eyeballs to walk with God. We need a different kind of vision. It's to see, listen, the things that are unseen. The eyes he's talking about come into our heart by the power of the Holy Spirit. He opens our understanding 
of the spirit that's inside of us so that we can see not the things everybody else sees, but to see the, to see the things that are unseen. 1 Corinthians chapter 4 says this, the things that you can see, they're temporal. The unseen things which faith allows me to see, those things are eternal. Jesus always liked to just make kind of light of this, that we have eyes and ears, but we don't always use them. So he'd say, after he said something profound, he's, he's all, um, let him who has ears hear, right? Here's what he's saying. You've got two ears, right? And I'll say something, and it doesn't seem like you heard me. So what's the sense of having ears, right? And so he, he's saying, uh, and, and he says this. Here, I'm quoting him. The guys had a, a kind of a duh moment, right? And so he says, and he had, they had quite a few of those, by the way. And he says, come on, guys. Do you have eyes, but you can't see? Do you have ears, but you can't hear? That's exactly the prayer here, is that those with two ears and two eyes would actually be able to hear something God is saying and to see and make a connection, spiritually speaking. So he's saying, may God turn on the light bulb inside your heart and mind so that you can see past what's right here into uh, eternal things. I love 1 Corinthians 2.9. It says this, but it's written, what no eye has seen, nor ear has heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. But these things God has revealed to us by his spirit. He's saying, hey, there's no way anybody could has seen or heard or imagined what's coming our way. But God has revealed them to us. Albeit, it is through a window that's all fogged up 1 Corinthians 13 says, hey, we, we see what's coming, but we kind of see, you know, because we're weak, and the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak, and we've got some flaws, right? But he's constantly trying to say, this is your destiny, and he does a lot of it. And even though it's through a little bit of fog, it sounds really wonderful, and he wants it to change the way we live our lives. Number one, we're going to get a glorious body like his. Philippians chapter 3. When Christ was raised from the dead, he is God the Son. He had a body that walked through walls. He has a body that ascended into heaven. He's saying in Philippians 3 that when you are changed by God and you stand before him, your body will be like God's body. That's a pretty big deal. He said, I'm going to give you authority to sit on a throne. That means every born-again Christian has a destiny to sit with God and to govern on a throne. Our heads placed a crown of authority by him, commensurate with our faithfulness in this life, and we will reign and rule a thousand years to the kingdom that we're supposedly praying for. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. When it gets here, we are on thrones, crowns on our heads, and we are sitting with him upon his throne of judgment. He says, I want you to see who you are so that might affect a change in your attitude here because that's who you are. And listen to me. God deals with us as he sees us in the future. Maybe that's why he's so kind to us. <laughs> 
right? When he sees Simon Peter, he says, hey, Simon, uh, I'm going to deal with you. Uh, your name is really the rock, Peter. You see, he's thinking of Peter as he will become, right? To Gideon, what does he say to Gideon? He says, uh, hello there, mighty man of courage and valor. And Gideon's like, whoa, who's standing behind me? You know, right? Because God deals with the finished product. He sees the end product. He says, oh, if you only knew who you really are. The purpose, one of the purposes of giving us a vision of what's coming to us is that it might affect the way we live now. And, and let me prove that to you. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2. The Corinthians are squabbling about stuff. Hey, you give me back my shovel. I never borrowed your shovel. Well, I'm taking you to court, you know? So two Christians in front of a godless judge go to him and say, he took my, my idea. <laughs> he took my shovel. I got it right here on my phone. Look. <laughs> well, he, he probably didn't do that part. So Paul says, I've heard that you're going to court with each other, suing each other in front of a godless judge. He says, don't you realize, future, don't you realize that we, you, Mr. Shovel owner, sewer, litigant, right? Don't you realize that you're going to judge the world? What does that mean? It means that when, when the wicked dead are resurrected before the great white throne, they stand before us. We judge them. He says, don't you know you're going to judge demons? You're going to judge the angels. That can only mean the fallen angels and all their crimes they've committed in this life. They will stand before who? Christ and us. He says, don't you realize you two in the courtroom bickering, he took my shovel. Don't you realize who, listen, don't you realize who you are? And then he makes the, the, the he brings down the point. He says, if that's who you are, don't you think there's somebody in your church that's wise enough to sit down with two brothers and figure out who took the shovel and who should give the shovel back or pay the uh, price of the shovel? Because of who you're destined to be, you throw your shoulders back a little bit. Mary, I told you about, uh, what's her name? Victoria, the queen. She reigned a lot of the 1800s. They kept the idea that she was destined to be queen of the British Isles and empress of India at that time. They kept it from her as long as they could till she was 10. They didn't want to spoil her. So they tell her, hey, listen, you're going to be the next queen. You're destined for it. Long pause, and she says, then I shall behave well. And the history books say that that sentence guided her teen, young adult years, and she'd ask herself, is this fitting for the queen of the British Isles to say or to think or to behave? And I'm just asking you to know that that is what the Holy Spirit is asking you to say. Is it really fitting for a guy like you who's going to have a crown on his head, honored in the sight of all of heaven and the angels, to behave like that? to have no self-control with sexual immorality, considering what's coming and who you are, there's going to be applause and reward and treasures. 
come on. Is that how the kind of wife you're going to be, the kind of husband you're going to be? Knowing who you are, here's what he's saying. Be who God has created you to be. Be that person now. Cooperate. And through the grid by which you filter all your thoughts and your words and your behavior, let the filter of that be who I am becoming and who I now am in Christ. It's just a matter of time. It's a beautiful thing. I do want to point out before we go to the last request that this glorious inheritance, which we can't even know about so much, is in the saints. It's only for Christians. There's this thing in the world. Everybody dies. Everybody goes to heaven. Everybody says it. It doesn't matter uh, if you're a Buddhist or an atheist or an evil person. They went on. They're in a better place. How do you know? The Bible doesn't say that everyone goes to a better place. It says, what did the angel say to Joseph? He shall give him the name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. You have to become his people. And you do that through faith and coming to Christ. And he adopts you into the family. So where's this glorious inheritance? It's not just because you die and you're a good guy. It's that the saints, and saints means holy, separated to God and for his purposes. It doesn't mean moral perfection. It just means belonging to God. So if you belong to God, you're a child of promise. Sons and daughters who are heirs, co-heirs with Christ. And that's where it's found. I mean, a story's told of a guy who wanders into a memorial service for a very wealthy man. And he stands in line to see the widow who's grieving. He's uncouth, hard face, countenance. And he says to her, hey, your husband, I guess he's filthy rich. He's so kind and loving and all of that. And she says, yes. And he says, I, I'd like to know what's in the will for me. What's, uh, what's coming my way? And she says, oh, are you part of the family? Do you, did you know my husband? Oh, oh, I have to know your husband. Oh, so there are stipulations to his love, right? That's not what I heard, that he's so loving and kind and generous. Oh, but what do I have to do? Become his little slave and servant so that I can get a little bit of an inheritance? The world just thinks you just have to die and go to heaven and get the inheritance. It doesn't work that way. You can't have the blessing without the benefactor. You have to know the benefactor in life and been enrolled in the will of heaven. Hebrews chapter 12 says that we are enrolled our names. You can find your name if you're truly connected to Christ and an heir of the promise. You, there's a will and there's a role. There's a scroll and your name is already there. Your name's got to be there. It's the glorious inheritance in, in those who belong, his people. That's who receive the allotted wealth of heaven. So let's pray that God open our eyes to see who we are becoming and live worthy of that. Last request is a beautiful one. He says, 
I also pray, just for context here, I also pray that the eyes of your heart may be open so that you can know his incomparably great power for us who believe. And there's the text that I have read. So we've seen that we, the prayer is to know God better so we could live better lives and, and, and reflect his love uh, more fully. And number two, that we would realize our future destinies and live up to that call. And number three, he says that, that it would dawn on you the power that is yours in Christ. And this is a hard one because we all know the Holy Spirit's in there, but we all have problems activating or actualizing the power that we sense that is in there because God's in there. 2 Corinthians 13, 5. Don't you realize Christ Jesus is in you? Unless, of course, you fail the test, says the scripture. John, uh, John records on the night Jesus was betrayed. He said, the Holy Spirit will come to help you and uh, teach you and guide you, and he will be by you, and he will be in you. So we know God's in there by spirit, but so oftentimes we just, we don't use the power. Where's the power to, and the joy and the confidence and the boldness? Where is that? Well, he's saying, I pray that you will comprehend the power that is right there. Let, let's look at the first he makes a, he declares the power and then he describes it. Let's look at the declarative statement. The Greek language that he's using is strained to its limits to describe God's power. So first he starts out, this power, the Greek word, you can follow along in your text, the Greek word for power there is dunamis, where we get the word dynamite. This power is incomparably great. Incomparably is a word that means to throw over the mark. It means to overflow restricted boundaries. In other words, it means over the top. All right? So this over-the-top greatness of his power, the word great there is uh, megathos, where we get the word mega from. So he's just saying this is just this dynamic, uh, over-the-top mega power that is in you. And then the next sentence, there's you're following along with me. Uh, it's seen in the working. The word for working there is energia, where we get the word energy, but it's only used of superhuman strength, God's strength, only, not man's strength. So he's saying inside of you, by the Holy Spirit, is God's energia, God's dunamis, God's power, God's mega strength over the top power is in you, coursing through your spiritual veins. Just a crazy thing. Now, if there's going to be a power outage, you know, it has to be user error, right? It's just definitely not going to be him. And then he says, let me, let me describe that power in the death, resurrection, ascension of Christ. He says, that power took Jesus' bloodied, battered, broken, lifeless, dead corpse and restored him. As God the Son took him up from paradise where he was and then brought him, ascended through the heavenlies, whatever that looks like, 
into heaven itself to the throne room of God where he took his seat, his rightful position as God the Son, ruling the universe. And the text goes on in such profound language that just is essentially saying that he rules from that throne the entire universe, that everything under his feet means that God, Christ Jesus, created all things and sustains everything in the universe by his word. Therefore, everything in the universe, every dust, piece, particle of dust, he has claim to. And this is the Lord, your God, who is head over the church, and you are connected to him as a head. You are the body. So that power, Christ, the head of the church, you, you have a nourishing connection to that kind of power. Then Paul's going to say to the Romans, if the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwell in you, then God himself will raise your mortal bodies in the same way. And here's what he's saying. Catch this. He's saying the same way that Jesus was raised from the dead, ascended into heaven and seated on a throne, the same exact thing will be yours. You will be raised from the dead. You will be ascended into heaven and you will be seated on a throne. That's the promise of God. And he's just saying that power that does all of that is in you available. Why? To make you healthy, wealthy. Yeah, I wouldn't say unwise, but it wouldn't be unwise in that case. No. To live the, a godly life, a holy life, a life of obedience. Listen, when Christ tells you, as we're wrapping up here, as Christ says, you want to be my follower? Three things. <laughs> Get used to telling yourself no, all right? Denying self to the things that are improper for God's holy people. So when you're prompted all the time, I want to do this, I want to say that, I want to go there, and it's out of God's will, you've got to tell yourself no. So that's number one. Anyone want to be my disciple? Get used to telling yourself no every single day. Number two, then I'd like you to pick up your cross daily, daily, and follow me. Well, the cross doesn't sound like a whole lot of fun. It sounds like a place of shame and suffering and pain. So what is he saying? Get used to dying to stuff that once bound you, the stuff that, that gets in the way that's not from God, that doesn't honor and glorify him and doesn't help you or the kingdom of God. Get used to dying daily and telling yourself, no, daily, and then follow me. The follow me part is, part is just as hard because it requires prayer and, and going to church and giving and being kind and all these disciplines that rub us the wrong way. We don't have the power to do that exactly. That's why we need God's power, saying no to our sinful selves, forgiving people who hurt us, love your enemy. Oh, good luck with that. Where are you going to find that except on your knees crying out, dear God in heaven, help me. And that's where you get the power to do. Oh, you think you could do anything? Jesus had to wipe us out with one statement. John 15, 5. 
Apart from me, you can do nothing. Well, I do stuff all the time without him. Yeah, but it, it <laughs> that's the problem. <laughs> it's not going to amount to anything. He's saying, if you want to do life that counts, you're going to have my help 24-7, right? Because it's just, just too hard to do it without him. Now, as I close for the second time, if you're paying attention, <laughs> it's just saying, hey, we're getting there, all right? That's all that's saying. Listen, I'm asking myself, I asked this question. I had to live with this for a whole week. I'm asking myself, where's the power? How do I get more of that? How does that work? Number one, it is not this willpower. I got to manifest more power. You know, it's up to me. Uh, Not really. It's up to him and you facilitating and you getting out of the way. But there is a part where we are pressing in. Love the story where uh, Jesus is his, Jesus is on a life and death mission to raise a girl from the dead. She's in the throes of death. He's in a crowd. Everybody's pressing around him. And uh, so much so, the writer says they thought they were going to crush him. Saw a woman who had a personal problem. She, she, She was constantly on her period. She was bleeding for 12 years. She couldn't stop she was unclean in that culture. She was suffering. She spent all her money on doctors and got worse. Hello, <laughs> that happens. And, and so she's pursuing Jesus. She says in her, in her heart, if I just touch his clothes, just the edge of his robe, I'll be, I'll be well. And so she presses in. So she's doing something. She's working, right, to touch him. And she touches the, the, the robe and zzz, power. Right? And she, it says, and she felt in herself she was healed. So she had to feel something, right? So Jesus stops and everyone goes like dominoes. <laughs> and Jesus says, hey, to Peter, I love this. Peter, who touched me? And Peter, duh. Peter says, Lord, you see the crowd. Everyone's pressing in against you. In other words, the answer is, Lord, Everyone's touching you. He says, oh, no, no, no. Someone touched me because I felt power. I felt power go out of me. There's the power. That's how you get it. How do you get it? You stay close to him. You connect with him, right? That's what John 15, the vine and the branches abide in me. That's where power comes, where the heart is looking at him not constantly praying all day long, but yeah, reflecting and looking and praying and believing and being open, not having stuff in between. There's right now, there's stuff in between and there's stuff that you know that shouldn't be there. You're thinking or doing or not doing. That, that zaps the power. So get rid of that. Make the connection clean, Right? But outside of that, it's really a posture of of being passive and being acted upon, you see? So put yourself in a posture where God is calling and you're responding in faith and the power will come. For example, and I use this guy all the time, the guy with the withered hand, you know, in the synagogue. I I, I love this example. I use it a lot. He has a withered hand. 
Jesus stands up in front of everybody at church and says, stand up. And the guy stands up. He's got a palsied hand. And the Lord says to him, stretch forth that hand. Now, wait a second here. It's broken. It doesn't work. He doesn't have the power to do that, right? So there's a gabillion reasons why you can tell the Lord all the reasons why you're going to forfeit the opportunity to have his power come and cause you to be able to do something that you could never do without his help. Oh, the list is endless. Hey, I was born this way. You know, I grew up this way. This has been with me all my life. Hey, if I could stretch out my hand, I would do so, you know? And maybe if I do stretch out my hand, you know, then I'll have to work harder. <laughs> you know, whatever the reason is, in your heart, you say, oh, yeah, like I'm going to stretch. I'll look like an idiot. I'll go like this and nothing will happen and everybody will laugh. You know, you just keep making your lists. Why you can't do what God is calling you to stretch forth your hand or, or knock off this behavior or stop clicking there or to start giving or to, to whatever it is he's asking you to do. Stop with all the reasons why can't you see it, can't do it? Now, something in that guy's head and heart said, now, that's a guy who speaks to dead people and they get up. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so perhaps if I did it, it might work. So what does he have to do? He's never used a hand before. So he looks down at it. This is where your power comes from, by the way. You look down, and you go, well, I don't, I don't think, uh, but okay, okay. Faith, uh, yes, yes, Lord, I will. He starts to do it. Is it God doing it? Yeah. Is it him doing it? Yeah. It's God's power and his willingness and faith collide and meet, and boom, there's the power to do it. He didn't will himself to do it. He responded to a command of God. And what isn't a command of God in the Bible? Be this way. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love the Lord with all your heart, soul, and mind, and strength. Never let your spiritual fervor grow cold. There's a hundred of those things. They're all stretch out your hand because we can't do any of them. But when you look at that verse and say, that's something I need to do or stop doing, and you will yourself and hear the voice of God saying, come on, let's do it. And you say, yes. I don't know how. I've never done it before. <laughs> Here we go. Boom. Oh, that's a good feeling. Look, we started this church. It was Barb and I first. It was a thought in our heads. Hey, what do you think about starting a church? That's it. Eight months out of a bone marrow transplant. I didn't have a job. I'm on disability. I barely, eight months, barely, I, I still look like death warmed over. I was in the hospital for two months. Eight months later, we're starting a church from nothing. The sending church didn't want to help financially. There was no money. There were no people. What, what, how did this happen? This is how it happened. Okay, well, dreaming and having faith. Look at that building over there. Wouldn't that be nice? Can you afford it? No. But, hey, we were praying and God put it on our hearts. Let's, let's do this. Okay, and poof, there it was, the building, the money. Hire that guy. 
well, I'm the only one here, and, you know, I could use another guy, and here's this guy just appears out of nowhere, Adam Wilson. He got saved, right? And it's like, hey, you need a youth pastor. Of course, I need a youth pastor. Do you have money to pay him? No, right? Hire him. Okay, here, here we go. I don't have the money. Boom. There's a youth pastor. We've got 12 full-time staff members here. That's a big budget. We've got 700 people who come through here on a weekend. How did that happen? From, hey, you want to plant a church? In our heads. The power of God. How? Us casting a vision? I don't even know what that means. I don't know how to cast a vision. What do you do? Here's the vision. (laughs) I don't get it. All I know is that people need to be saved and Christians need to hear the word of God and I just want to preach the Bible and teach and get everybody fired up and encouraged. That's all I know how to do. And so we're going to just take one day at a time, step out and touch the hem and go, is is this the right place? No, no, no. Oh, we got it. (laughs) That's what we do. So do that. Do that and be blessed. So let's pray the prayer. God, enable us uh, to know you better. God, help us to know what's coming our way. And God, help us to comprehend the awesome power that's available to all of us. Amen? All right, now we can pray. I meant let's pray this prayer. And now, I've got a thing with prayer today. I don't know what it is. All right, you ready to pray? The real prayer? All right, let's pray. So, Father, we open our hearts. We, we want to utilize the spiritual wealth. And we ask that you would enable us. Now, as we close with a a worship song, we just pray that you'd minister to our hearts, Lord, as we stay open to you. In Christ's name, amen, amen. Let's stand. Closing song. You have been listening to The Rock Podcast. Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 6.30 and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at calvarytherock.org.